Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos, where we present tips, tools, and techniques to help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor at Lokahi Counseling. This channel and the Calming the Chaos podcast is for those who want self-help and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like the information, please subscribe to my channel and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. This episode of Calming the Chaos is called Racial Chaos, and I'll be talking to my colleague and friend, Casey Louie, who is a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice called Move in Faith Counseling in Olympia, Washington. And now Casey will tell her stories about how she has been racially profiled in the past and will present some tips and tools about how to deal with race on both ends. Whatever color you are, whatever race you are, she has a tip for you. And so without further ado, here I am interviewing Casey Louie. And so today on Calming the Chaos, I have one of my colleagues, Casey Louie, and we are going to be talking about the race to chaos or racial chaos, some of the chaos that goes on mentally, emotionally. I'm so glad to have Casey here because she is very much qualified to talk about this sensitive subject when we have all this chaos, right? And I hope she can make some sense of it today. So welcome, Casey, to Calming the Chaos. Oh, it is such a pleasure, uh, Tracy. An honor. I'm humbled. Thank you so much. I am. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, right. We are going to be we're going to be focusing on women specifically and the chaos that goes on with uh, women of color in our world today. And chaos meaning just complete disorder or uh, random thoughts and or you know just the things that you cannot control that are going on in our world today. And we're just really eager to hear your stories and your learned experience. So why don't we start with you telling us a bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you got to be here today. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm going to narrow it down, right? Um, so I am. I was born, so I'm going to give you a little accent, St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. St. Thomas is next to Puerto Rico, the Caribbean islands, and my parents are from Antigua, British Virgin Islands. I always wanted to be in the military, so my sister joined the military. She went to Colorado Springs, and I said, I want to go, I want to go. And 14 years old, here I go. Went to Colorado Springs, culture shock. I um, moved there and then I joined the military. So just a little bit there and then we can go from there. I have a lot more, but I'll pause. Yeah, when, when you went to Colorado and you were 14 years old and you were enrolled in school apparently, right? Did Were there, were there predominantly white people in the schools that you went to? Oh yeah. So I, I will never forget the first day I walked into school. My sister took me, she had on her military uniform and it was all predominantly white. I, 
I just kept looking like, because remember the island, well, the islands at that time, I might say, lot people that looked like me. Um, I did, I do know and saw people that were of different color, but this was a lot. I was in culture shock. They started asking, they asked me questions right as soon as I entered, like I went into the office and they said, where are you from? I was like, I'm from St. Thomas. They were like, where is that? Um, then I went to class, I joined, went to math and my trigonometry teacher said, is that Fiji? Oh, now the accent. I'm she asked me, no, she asked me, is that the accent? Is that Fiji? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Fiji. So just a lot of stereotypes or just guessing right from the beginning. I dealt with so much. Do you, was there some other way that people could have approached that? I think this is really where we want to go yes. on this because I think people don't know they could make assumptions like they did about Fiji. But what what would have been more helpful now thinking back about how people could have approached you differently? Yeah, I think um, keep the assumptions to the thought and ask questions. Just ask. ask. Questions. You, where are you from? You know, I had one person even told me, they were like, do you guys like have cars? Do you have, did you come on like on a boat? Do you wear skirts? You know, do you have clothes? And then try not to ask all the stereotypical questions that we see on TV. Just ask, just ask and then hopefully they share. And what's an example, if you would, of a stereotypical question that people will typically ask or that you have experienced being asked that is intrusive or stereotypical in nature, if you can think of one? Let's see. Um, There's so much. Uh, Well, for one, for me, every time there's somebody hear my accent, you from Jamaica? Like, I'm from Jamaica. I know nothing about Jamaica. (laughs) You know, I have a lot of friends from Jamaica. (laughs) I see. So that's a question that we could ask, but it's also an assumption too, right? Are are you from Jamaica? Meaning that I'm assuming you are. I'm just sort of confirming that kind of a thing. Like, also, um, I mean, for some people, it's a pleasure that um, they identify. So it's different for many. It's so much layers to this mm-hmm. and different personalities. So for myself, they say, are you from Africa? And I'm like, well, yeah, but no. So again, just mm-hmm. ask, you know, where are you from? Where are you from? Right. Yeah. And that's very simple. I love that because it simplifies the whole thing. Ask a question that is simple. When the person asked you about whether or not they have, you wear skirts and if you have cars, is that something that would be appropriate as well? Because a person doesn't know where St. Thomas is or what the Virgin Islands are. You may not know. And so is that an appropriate question to ask? I, I feel that if you don't, when you get to know someone, so sharing each other's stories, like maybe even approaching like, you know, I'm from uh, this place and we kind of do this. What do, what do you do there? You know, kind of getting to know. So it's more relational than so much of the assumption than the awkward question and, mm-hmm. you know, get to know uh, the person, I'll say. Yeah. Did you yeah. have any trouble? Did you have any trouble in school as oh. far as but people harassing you or being mean or was there any hate directed towards you? In the beginning, yes. I remember they had one actually this was actually a a, a black female. The only black female in the school. It was so weird. Um at the time she just I guess she felt that she was the one 
that was supposed to be there. But I didn't, honestly, I didn't even see her. I just saw her like everyone else because of the way she behaved, her mannerism. I came from somewhere different. So um, I, that was my first encounter. She was like, you don't walk here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So all her friends are, are white and she comes up to me and she's the lead. And so then I now internalize, there's a, the stereotype. It was something that I internalized. So then now I'm like, oh no. I'm, I don't want to be like that. This is not who I am. Um, and then I got bullied some from from some white people um, saying that I was black. You know, they can't see me when, you know, don't when you take the picture, uh, make sure that you don't put that shirt on. It, a lot of. Yeah, it was it was harsh. No kidding. Sounds like some some pretty heavy duty uh teasing, uh, but bullying in a bullying kind of way as well. And from the only other black girl in your school, huh? That was so, I was like, uh, you don't walk here. You don't walk here. (laughs) Okay. What do you do with that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, uh, at that time, now I look back, a lot of those things built me of who, you know, just who I am today. Not that it had to happen, but, oh man, I, it's just who I am. I I I'm, I learn from it, and seeing that today, I I would be like, just bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> right, because we got to remember that when you first came here, you were 14, and you'd never seen the mainland United States, and you'd just been on the, the Virgin Island in St. Thomas, and so you were, and also you'd been to some other places as well, but you had never been to like Colorado Springs, right? Oh no, it was so, <laughs> it was so different. First time I saw the snow, I was like, it was so bright, you know? So mm-hmm. I had a lot of good times. I mean, my family, my sister, my brother-in-law, so amazing, helped me out so much. So that was a really, really good experience. But some of those things within the school, um, the teachers, oh, if we want to get to the counselor yet yeah please do please do share some stories about school because i know you have a lot of them and just which ones stick out to you the most as far as helping us to understand the problems that are in the schools both when you were there as a student and then i think you're experiencing it now too as a mom yes yes well, let me, even before I go there, there are so many la- layers to racism. And this is not to point the finger or for me to say, oh, everyone, does, you know, everyone of a different uh, color does this. It's just my experience. This is my individual experience. And I've seen it individually, interpersonal, institutional, and systemic. So it's so much, it's so much all in one. So I'm just sharing this. The disclaimer is my story. Okay, awesome. <laughs> um, so in school, I was pretty, I'll just say I was pretty smart. School works, book, book smart. The work was really easy. And, and I, so I sat there and I was like, oh, is this it? I'll tell the teacher, can I get more work? Can mm-hmm. I get more work? <laughs> and she's like, are you saying you want more work? And I'm like, yes, like, please. So I would always get these little coupons to get out of school early uh, breaks. So I said, no, it has to be something else I can do making these high grades. So I went to my counselor. So I went in, I said, hi, mister. And I, I realized that my grades are really high and I just really want to um, do something else. Maybe I could go to college or something. And he says, sit down, sit down, sit down. Uh, first of all, first of all, 
did, did you sign up for that speech class? You need to go to the speech class because you're going to be valedictorian and, and um, I don't know if they're going to understand you. Wow. And at that time, I'm a rules person. Still, I, I'm still, I'm still that person. So he said it authority. I sit down and I was like, oh, okay, speech. Okay. You know, I just kept saying yes, yes, not knowing. Oh my goodness. My heart. When I, when I look back, he just mm. told me, he said, sign up for the speech class. I signed up all I heard in the speech class. And it, well, it was a college course to, so I can learn how to speak. What is, I don't know how I was speaking English. So I guess he wanted me to change my twain like I'm doing mm -hmm. now. <laughs> yeah. You, in fact, you have to work to get back to the accent that you had when you first came here. Right. And because you've been through so much speech class. I'm like, wait, what we to say again? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think, I think it's still there, you know, with my family more, but yes, mm -hmm. because I've gone, gone through so much different areas of speech. So Abraham Lincoln speech, and then they took me to, all these, and I was like, oh, you know, I learned about every white male in presidency or that had a speech. So I learned all of it and I said it and I passed the class with the A plus. And he says, okay. So I go back to him and I said, well, what do we do now? You know, what, what can I do now? And he says, well, your parent, this was a time when it had a hurricane, a bad hurricane happened in the islands. So he told me that my parents were okay and I'm still devastated because I didn't know it was a hurricane and my parents nearly lost everything. And he says, yeah, I got a call, but they're okay. Well, let's move on. You know, I'm still there like, okay, you know, still just kept going. And he said, well, you can't do the speech at the graduation and then you're gonna graduate early because of your grades. So go home and maybe go work bur at Burger King. And hmm, I went home. My sister was in the military and on the base had a Burger King. So I was like, oh, why not? So I went to Burger King, became the great, great, great team leader. So all these things, you know, they, the profiling, he's setting me up really, setting me up, didn't really set me up for success. Mm -hmm. If you if you're looking at that, so but I did go to work in Burger King and I became a team lead, team leader and I learned so much skills. Wow, well, so he was trying to limit your potential. It sounds like, huh? Totally. Yeah, at that time, I'm, I really thought he was guiding me. I really remember. I'm from Little Town, thirty two square miles, eighty four square miles. You know, island people don't get me, but <laughs> small island, we have a lot going on. It's a lot happening there. So when I go to my principal or the person, they probably know my family. They're going to guide me and let's go and get into every program. But then I come to a different place. He doesn't know me. I'm black. I got a thick accent. Just gone somewhere like that. That's how it was. That's what I, what I see now. But then I was just like, oh. He's just telling me little steps to go. I'm, I'm just coming here, just staying small for now or something. You know, maybe I'm going to get somewhere. Yeah. Never questioned it. Well, and so obviously you did end up going to college at some point in time. What was the progression from that Burger King job and being the valedictorian in your high school, but not making the speech and having this 
hurricane hit your family. What was the progression between there and and even going to college? How did you oh, figure that goodness. out? So, you know, within that time, I had a lot of time in my hands. But in that time that I had, I had so much time to my hands. And my mom always say, idle hands. So I go back to the islands and didn't really have a course. I wanted to join the military, but I uh, was in waiting. I, I signed up in this program, a delayed entry program. I go home and I'm 17 years old. And I think I got it. I had became a Christian. I know I'm strong. And my mom's like, you're not strong yet. Just make sure you stay away from this bad company because the islands is, you know, it's rough. They'll get you. I'm like, oh, psh. well, guess what happened? I became pregnant at 17 years old. Um, so then I said, I will not. And this is where my life really began to change. I said, I am not going to do, I will not stay on this island. I am going to take, I'm going to go in the military, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to do something. So I went to my dad and I said, dad, I don't know who, you know, in the States, we say the States and, you know, I just want to go. Then I met my husband right before I left. So you're probably saying, well, I got pregnant. I just got pregnant. Just to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> story. But that, so I met my husband and how do I get to college? I go to Georgia. I signed up for school. Then I went to Colorado, Connecticut with my husband and his family. And I joined up a community college. Yeah. And you were not in the military at this point at all. Not right? at that but point. Your husband was, is that right? So not yet. I was oh. the first one that actually joined. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I was the first one that actually joined the military. So in preparation, just kind of getting exercise in my daughter. So trying to make sure she gets to a certain age. Um, I said, well, I'm just going to go to school here, community college. And I started that. And then I say, you know what? I'm going to pause in school. I'm going to join the military. So I did. Joined the military. My husband's so kind. He's like, I'll watch the kids go. <laughs> went to the military. And then, so I stayed in the military a little bit and still went back to school. What did you do in the military? What was your MOS? So at first I signed up to be a 92 golfer cook. Same thing. At this point, I go to the recruiter and he's like, this is what we have again. So this is another area. I go to a white recruiter. Not again, remember the disclaimer. This is my story. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's right. Everyone, I go to this recruiter and I said, I want to join the military. Here I am. I already took the test. When I was going the first time, I was going to be like some kind of I don't even know what it was linguistic, something like that. Just get me in the military as soon as possible because I'm desperate. I have a family. I'm ready to go. I've wasted, I felt like I've wasted time. Just let's go. He's like, Oh, you can be a cook. <laughs> Back to Burger King, right? Because we can draw on that Burger King experience that you had earlier on in your short career. Literally, I was probably like in two months. And here I am a cook. I'm like, mm. now some people, I have a friend still. She she is awesome, cooks well, chef. I mean, some people love that. But Casey don't want to do, I don't want to be, I'm just here I go. Yes, let's go. Okay. You did it. Go back to this again. And he's like, just go. And I'm like, okay, but I kind of, at this point, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I think he's kind of scaling me here, but <laughs> you know, but I'm just going to go. 
And so I joined Go, but then I, my MOS changed, which was my job changed to clerk or something. Um, but I didn't stay long in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, then my husband joined the military at that point. And so you just you just stayed in, and you did uh, two basically two different jobs in the military: cook and clerk. Yes, mm-hmm. they call it clerical. Uh, I think just a, they just changed it because I had a lot of surgeries. I ended up having so much surgeries trying to be something in the kitchen. I am not. Like that was just not my area. So I lift a lot of things. I think I fell, I had a surgery and then it just was not a right fit for me. Mm-hmm. So I got out medically. No, I did not. I wanted to, I just got in the military and my husband's like, I want to join. I was like, no, don't join. Uh, you're going to go through a lot, even in there. It's just so much profiling and stereotypicals like, oh, another black female, here she goes. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt That's yeah. my, in my opinion. So got out and I went back to school again. Right. And you had the money to do it, right? Because don't you have the GI bill and all that stuff to support you through that whole process of going back to school? Yes. So now I am going to school. I, my husband got stationed here actually, um, for, it was Fort Lewis at the time. And Mm -hmm. I joined, I went to Pierce college and I was pregnant So I always knew I wanted to get into social service, something, counseling, psychology, I knew. And I told her that and she looks at me and at that, I mean, I don't wear rings all the time. Rings are just, you know. Um, So she says, oh, so I sat down and I was pregnant, went by myself, automatically, oh, oh, you poor girl. You must be going through a hard time. I don't think that program's going to work for you. Maybe you should start with, um, you know, ha- have you ever thought of the uh, the child care? Maybe it might be good for you and your, your baby when he or she comes. Just like that. I have. Yeah. So what happened there? Was there another assumption that was being made? And what was the assumption, Casey? So the assumption is. Casey is pregnant. She doesn't have a father. She's probably, well, we did talk about this a little later. And honestly, food stamps, Medicaid, uh, on a scholarship or something, or getting aid or funded through a work program, a workforce, because she thought I was through a workforce program, retrain. Um, Yeah, assuming. And here I am, I'm married. I'm already, you know, so I just let her talk. Yeah, so that's another thing that you uh, do so wisely is you you listen to them sort of dig themselves into their own mess at sometimes. Isn't that true? Yes. So at this point, I'm getting wiser and I'm understanding a little bit. Um, so, yes, I just let her talk. And she just kept speaking and kept going. And then she walked me down to the uh, it was an area you can go and get funds for child care. <laughs> And I said, and right there, I stopped her. And I said, you know, you never asked me anything. I'm actually, I already have a military. And she just like was in shock. She says, I am so sorry. I said, before you said you were sorry, you should have, again, instead of assuming something, Mm -hmm. just ask questions. Easy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like there was no, the ring was kind of the key piece, right? That was missing. 
you were pregnant, you were a woman of color and you didn't have a ring on. And then that's really sort of what made her assume that you were in need of financial assistance. You could have possibly gone into their childcare program instead of going into social work or these other sort of uh, science positions, right? Yes. Then my kids now are, well, at the time, I'll say not so much now because I'm very involved in my daughter's school and um, help a lot in that area. But when I had my younger girls at the time, um, they faced a lot of racial inequalities within the institutional system. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly one event I can remember, I, um, and this is changing from me in my high school days and my college days, I'm going now to my daughters that are here in the North Thurston um, Public School District. And I, had Victoria, my last daughter at the time as a baby, and my husband was deployed. So I have a lot of kids at home, but we are doing well. And um, I would pack their lunches. So one of my daughters decided going through her identity confusion. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm a, who am I? What's going on? I want to, you know, um, she did not want to um, uh, eat the lunch I was making. So she would take the lunch and put it under the school bus or put it by the tree every day. So one day she got really hungry and ate somebody's cookies. I'm like, really? Like who? Mm. Like what? I'm learning all this at, at some point. So then I get a call out of the blue, never had an incident with the schools. And by then I've, they've been in school for about six years. Never had any issue. They're in middle school. And the lady decided, now I'm switching, to call me and said, CPS is in the office for me. Child Protective Services. Mm-hmm. And I'm shocked. I'm like, Child Protective Services. Now, I'm... Wow. Talk about I'm, chaos, right? Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> now, and again, yeah, this school doesn't have a lot of Black children. It's dominant. It's uh, principal and teachers and everyone... They kind of, they really a lot don't know about this culture, black culture or African-American culture or just people of color in general. So, or at this time, I might say, in my opinion, I go into this office and she says to me, we have to open a case because you are neglecting your child. Because your, your kid stole some cookies from somebody else. Wow. That was a leap. Uh, How did they make that leap? Casey, how did they make that leap? <laughs> well, again, at this point, my one of my daughters, she was more, her accent is thick. She has an accent and they're probably not taking the time to understand the whole picture. She's black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she's stealing. And she's stealing. So she's troubled. She's probably not being treated well at home. So yeah. We're starving her at home, so she's stealing other people's cookies. Is, is so let's investigate this black woman because she's about yeah. to go down. Yeah, we wow. have to. We have to let her. Um, we have to help these children. So I sat there. Oh, and <laughs> that must have been really super tough, Casey. That was tough. That one was tough because it's involving my kids. I have my young one; she's about seven months old, and my husband's deployed. And so I say this is the Lord's grace that helped me this day because I spoke up and I was like, "You will not open a, you will, you will not do this." 
I said, first of all, you have no right. I've never, I, I just stopped. And I said, Shonda, get up. We are getting out of this office. I was like, you know, me, me and you know, I didn't care if the English was proper. You know, you're wrong. I walked out of that office and I think probably within some months or a year, my, our children went back to the Virgin Islands wow. at, the, at that point to finish school. I mean, some other factors, but it was, it was not healthy. Mm-hmm. And I went back and we had a conversation with the principal and things like that, but that was, that was sad. Wow. So you disenrolled them from that school because of what happened and they did not open up a CPS case against you, did they? This incident was uh, highlighted because it reminds you of how assumptions are so unhelpful when you're trying to get an objective met. Like a a child needs to be fed. All right. We should not be looking at opening up a CPS case. We should possibly be looking at getting more information about the situation, right? Yeah. Like who, you, we know, <laughs> even in our field, like you, that's, it's a little steep leap mm-hmm. jump. So yeah, we, that was really, that was really uh, tough. I remember having like this fear in me at that point. So now it's like, Oh my goodness, like I have to be careful. So a little traumatized mm-hmm. taking my kids to school. Like, oh. So they're back in the islands and they finished up their schooling there. And have you had any other incidents oh, yes. with the school system, even as a mother? Because you're still a mother with a child in the system yes. somewhere, right? Yes. Well, then I, because of, the, I think part, not think, part of that fear, I ended up putting my girls in a Christian school. <laughs> believing that <laughs> I'm going to have a different outcome, um, which was really a really good experience. But then again, we're still dealing with race and we're dealing with individual biases and prejudices and not being aware and assumptions and all the the institutional racism. So all of that's still there, dealt with my daughter sings really well. This was another really impactful story for us. And um, we expect, we placed her in a school with like, she can use her gifts and, you know, try to do something here in Washington state. Sings like, like girl can sing. She's an artist too. She can, she paints well, exhibits and everything. So we will present these things over and over. I will volunteer, I will take them in. And um, while some teachers and some of the, princi- the some of the staff are very helpful, it's the lack of awareness and not diving in to be aware, not like taking off the filter from their own culture and not trying to let her, my daughter, assimilate and adapt everything that that belongs to them. So she was seeing, but they'll give her like. 30 seconds of a piece, like 30 seconds. So they were, limiting, like, they were limiting her. They, they didn't let her sing as much as they could have. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And she would ask. And so she became a teenager and she realized there was something going on. So then she became discouraged. And then she didn't want to sing anymore. We've always encouraged her. She's like, no, it's okay. Give it to someone else. And one of her teachers even noticed it. She's like, 
she's not wanting to sing. What is going on? What it, I said, Victoria, can you tell them what's going on? And she was brave enough now here. She's moving beyond where I was at 13, 14. Well, she wasn't 13 at the time, but she's speaking up and she told him, she says, every time I ask to do a part or do something, yes, I'm kind. I give it to someone else, but I realize you always put me in the back. You say no. So that was that was another piece. And at this at that point, we educated a lot mm. to who wanted to know about how to make this change. Yeah, and I'm really interested in how you worked with that because there was a point at which she started to develop her own voice about her voice, which is interesting, right? But how did you go about informing and educating the people who are making all these assumptions and were limiting? I, I really see that's the theme. There, there, there are people who make assumptions and there are people who limit. How are you able to maneuver through that with your daughter's experiences? Yeah, so... For one, our faith, we literally, our faith in, in faith in God and praying, and she had that. So the foundation really, met, yeah. but then an environment, constant oppression and that no support, although you're supporting at home becomes difficult. So how we did that, we, we went in, we talked to the principal, she heard us, and we asked them to change some of the books, you know, add some culture, add some people of color, add different ethnic um, studies within the curriculum because again you're you can do a little bit more in a private school um, so they did mm -hmm. they would give Victoria certain books and help you know place within the class well when this started to get in integrated within the school then the kids started having questions so then Victoria was getting a little bullied on the on the on the playground and one guy one this is I don't use this word but he called it an n-word mm -hmm. He was like, oh, I heard the song and you're, you're, you're that, you're mm -hmm. that end person I heard on the radio. Mm. Victoria said, excuse me. And she went right to the office because she knows who she, who she is. She's upset. She don't mm -hmm. want to retaliate. She mm -hmm. calls her mom. She says, I need to call my mom. And when I got there, we got the other parent. And at this point, still not aware mm -hmm. just like oh it's a discipline thing no it's racism mm -hmm. because he's hearing it at home mm -hmm. it, so individual to individual and you did it and you because that that is so important that what you did was you followed through with the individual who was responsible for the remark and also the individual's parents. It wasn't like you tried to change systems all at once, but you did know your foundation and it was a faith-based foundation. And that was where you operated from. And then you approached the individuals involved. Yes. And even when the individuals probably try to, because they don't know, they said, well, this shouldn't be, this is not so. This shouldn't, this, this cannot be happening. Mm -hmm. I really did not allow that to stop me to share. And was it successful? Did they finally realize that it was racism that was going on? Well, some did. But some wouldn't. No, they some just like, no. Yeah, this is just, 
child acting out maybe. I got to ask you, when, when you went through those situations, when you had to do those individual confrontations and you chose to do that, how did you calm your chaos? Any kind of emotion <laughs> that came up when you were talking about these really emotionally charged issues? How were you able to stay calm and get your point across, Casey? <laughs> so do you, you, do you want me to tell you a situation that happened and how I handled that? Because I can actually feel that still. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, now I'm a counselor. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and I have an a office and I'm going into the, to the building and a white gentleman, probably in his mid-50s, uh, I could not get the key in for some reason. And I am dressed probably similar to this. I have my bag has a lock on it. Uh, just I'm dressed. I, I do not look like I'm really in need or I am a criminal. So then I'm a five eleven, probably with heels, six foot black woman. And he comes out of his car, a Benz in particular, because I like Benz. <laughs> I noticed that. Um, and he comes out of the car and I automatically could feel, I know something's about to happen. And he says to me, uh, he was bowling us a young lady, you know, um, I think you're going in the wrong building. Right there, whoo, I'm telling you, my heart started racing, the emotional chaos, right? I, I'm getting anxiety, I sweat, I, I, my arm, I mean, everything was going on, all my alarms. Right, right. Because I know what's happening. He knows, and no one's around because I went in early. But right there, I chose to take a deep breath. Right there. Because remember, from 14 to, I'm in my 40s. And that's a lot of practice. But again, even though if I mess up, I still don't hold myself, like blame myself. I go back to my faith and really just try again. So at this moment, I pause, took a deep breath. And I remember looking at him in his eyes. So eye contact, you know, I placed my back on the side, put my hands down. And I say to him, honestly, I do. I belong in the building, but I, the key probably not, it's not working. And he says, then now everything's blank on his face because I did not respond for one, how he probably thought I would respond. I didn't respond how I thought I would. It was something else going on. Yeah. You said I chose to take a deep breath and then you described a process that was really slow and methodical. I put my bag down. I looked him in the eye, take this breath. So all that takes some time. And I love that as a method for anybody could use that for calming any kind of chaos so that you wouldn't be in the defensive place that you could approach him from a different mindset, I guess. And I'm curious to know what that mindset was because you, you shifted your any kind of defensiveness that you could have had in that mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. to something else. What was it that you shifted it to? I shifted it to love. I and really that did. came from your foundation of faith, right? Yes. I shifted it to love because I said, he's probably, 
there's a lot could be happening inside. So I'm not going to allow this moment for me to be a light to stop that process. I, I'm, I'm going to be the light here. Mm-hmm. We ended up in a whole conversation about his past. When I think about this piece, that I took the time to have that conversation and to hear his story and to actually say, hey, you know, there's a lot. I, I started off the process, the talk saying there's a lot of racial tension. And I know everyone's like up in arms right now. I said, but this is the moment where we can first like ask questions, like ask instead of assuming. And then he, st- he just went into the story and told me that when he was younger and he would bring his black friends over. And now he said, this is not an excuse. He said his dad will literally take his rifle when he brought his friends and like pull it back to tell him, you bring your black friends any closer and I'm going to shoot them. Wow. So he saw that and he said, what? And he said his dad told him a story that he just never forgot. And then he just, it just built. And we stood in that parking lot with such a moment. And, you know, there was some more personal conversation would just turn into just such a blessing. And I'm so grateful that I did not allow my internal chaos mm-hmm. to stop that moment. Right. And it could have, if you gotten defensive, it could have reinforced his belief about Black people in general, how he had gotten that belief from his dad with the whole gun. And now you were changing his maybe his perspective and his mind about how he views black people. You took the time to listen to him. Yeah. And I I took the time. We shared stories. I shared a little, you know, just some about, he was like, Oh my goodness. So we talked. And then now I said, Hey, cut yourself. You're going to, you're going to bleed red blood. He said, where are you from? And I was like the islands. He said, I heard an accent. You know, we went in and I said, you gonna bleed. I'm gonna bleed. Like, this is not about like, I know it's, it's real and it's all those biases in pre, you know, these different things that parents raised us and all this stuff that now this is what it causes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I've never heard that before. Cut yourself. We bleed, we bleed the same color blood. I can't believe I've never heard that before. I love that. You know, that, that right. it's, it's so true. Yeah. 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 So, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so you really listened, you validated and you listened, you shared stories and you provided some education for him as well. And so what is the lesson in all of this? (laughs) What is the lesson? To, you know, so much, and I'm still learning. There is racism. Some people might say, I don't see it. Uh, History tells us and continual today, there's layers of racism, really for us to know that there's layers, individual, interpersonal, institutional, and systemic, which is systemic is that ongoing racial inequality that is maintained really because of going right back down to the individual, not being able to pause for a moment to hear the heart of another person, color, black, white, tan, pink, I don't know, all the different colors to actually hear the story. So awareness really of who we are, identifying for one, 
yes, I am black. God made me a black woman from St. Thomas on purpose. Like I have the accent on purpose. I'm 5'11 for a purpose. I'm all that for a purpose, but it's not to be superior over someone. It is for us to love one another. So knowing your history, really, I, through all this, if I can share, know, knowing our history is so important, not just one particular history, the entire history, learn, but more so learn the whole history, but know your own and learn from our past. So then we can move forward healthy, you know, and be able to have this present moment with joy and not fighting in this chaos all the time, which yeah. we know chaos is always there, but at least we can walk through knowing that there's some peace is a foundation. So awareness mm -hmm. is huge. Oh, I just love what you just said. That that could have been coined a nice speech there, Casey. Yeah. What you just said was was amazing. And you know, when I think about this this whole like progression that you've made from that 14-year-old that first came to the United States and and you've talked about the education system and then the whole military and a career. You have encountered so many different stories throughout the year. And with each one you've evolved and grown. And so now here you are and tell us a little bit about your private practice, what you do, who you help. I just really want the people to understand where people can move to from where they were at before. Yes. Yes. So now I am um, in Lacey. I'm one of the few black therapists in Lacey. I'm excited about that. Um, I see so many different people from different backgrounds. I have a heart for people just to move from here to there in, in that sense. Um, my practice is called Moving Faith Counseling on Purpose. Um, it stands for being motivated um, against all odds and to be vigilant to walk in expectation for greater. So not that we're not aware that there are dangers and things that we, we have to look out for, but really knowing it's going towards greater with the work that we put in. Uh, cognitive behavior therapy is my thing. I love that. I, I enjoy that because it's a part of, of who we are. There's a scripture that talks about as a man think it, so is he. Mm -hmm. And your thoughts take you so many places, so many places. So changing the thought, really your emotions, then your behavior, and then we're able to change. So to evolve, I have to be able to go there to say, what am I thinking? Is my thinking carrying me? Is it going to help me or is it going to hurt me? And it takes practice. So that's a part of what I, I share with um, so many different people. Um, I'm seeing a lot right now of a lot of more um, African-American women. Uh, some women like to be called Black women. People of color come into therapy. They mm -hmm. never used to come to therapy, but now they're because of everything that's going on in our society, they're saying, yes, um, let's talk about this. A lot of racial trauma. So just getting in the field of learning some more about that and, mm -hmm. and, and integrating with other things just as to come, but learning and growing from people like you, Tracy, <laughs> in the field, definitely. So I do what I can with my privilege. Yes. <laughs> do you have any other sort of things that you might offer as far as challenges and solutions uh, to uh, women of color in particular? As a black woman, any room I enter into, 
whether it's a short white woman, 5'2", a Hawaiian, Asian, I automatically enter the room completely knowing who I am. Not here, like, oh, no, I know who I am because of who God says I am. But it's more so that I am coming into the room to learn, but also to give what's the gift that God has given me. So sometimes that's not accepted. If not, I just, okay, let's mm -hmm. move on. So really knowing within what's happening in the biases, like they talk about your hair sometimes, Black women, like, you know, what kind of hair, like, can I touch your hair? Some people, you know, try to pause in that moment because those things can get gets kind of tricky. Like, touch my hair, like, you know, some people say, well, it's kind of like a feel. When one girl says, kind of like a feel like Brillo. You know, to a black person, we know that's kind of, or African-American person, that's kind of like, oh, you know, we say to, yeah. In those moments of those awkward moments, pause more so than just reacting. Because really in truth, whether they intend it or they're not aware, some things like choose your battle. What, which area do you want to go into, you know? Is this for a benefit? Where are you headed? Who are you? What is your purpose? And people say, oh, it's not that big. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. We're all made on purpose for a purpose. So meeting anyone in that room within as women, just, you know, they always say, like, put, I see these little uh, emojis, put another woman's crown on. <laughs> like, for real. Like, mm -hmm. it's okay. But then we're, we're talking about again. You go back to individual biases. So there's a lot to work through. But if you if we can remember anything, just pause. Yeah. Take a moment to pause before just reacting. That oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna speak. You know, my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you. Do you really have people asking to touch your hair? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's a very sensitive subject and it's, I cannot believe that people would just ask to touch it. That's so interesting. Yeah, it has like YouTube videos out where there's people like, oh, and then sometimes like they'll, where we were, we were somewhere, Hawaii, we were in Hawaii mm -hmm. and there, some people were from Peru, other, and they came up to my door and they said, oh, oh, your skin, your skin is so black. Your skin is so beautiful. And my daughter's just like, oh, you know, she's smiling with them. But they, their culture, they, she told us, they don't see black people. That's what she told us in her area. But some people will be like, how dare you put your hands on my face? You know, mm -hmm. again, it's like, okay. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh, back up a little bit. Let's talk about it. You know, boundary <laughs> space, you know, America, well, Americans. <laughs> I know. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, uh, is there any hair tips that you want to share with our audience of color? Yes. Do, so, do you have any hair tips? Hair tips. <laughs> hair tips. Look, I got, I wore the last time you saw me, I think I had my hair like out mm -hmm. like this. It was actually back, but I, you, I, you took it out and it was like, Took out. it out. <laughs> I, I'm so okay. Well, let me tell you, my hair right now, this is like, this is braids. So sometimes I go into the office, they're like, you cut your hair. <laughs> no, I ain't cut my hair. I had a wig on. Like, 
had on a wig. Like right now, like I put jam. So when mm-hmm. I, again, it's just yeah, there's a lot of YouTube videos. So if you go kind of look up braids or you know certain things, then when you see a black person or African American person or people of color, then you kind of know, oh, okay. But then yeah, the tips, I just, I, I, right now, I just put my hair up because it was a hot mess. And I took braids and I put that thing up and I wrapped it in. And my daughter was like, yep, let's go. So this is my natural hair here, but I took big braids and I, you can do so much. Wow. You can do so much with our hair. Again, it's just owning it. <laughs> exactly. I think you told me that uh, when, when the hair is in its natural form, it can actually be stretched out so much longer than it actually really is if you have the mm-hmm. right sort of technique. And oh, I found yeah. that really amazing and fascinating. Yeah. So you see, this is braids, not my hair here. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I forgot, I went somewhere to a barbershop. Mm-hmm. My friend was working in one of the barbershops. And all these white young males are on the side. And I go in and my hair is like a little puff. It's just like a puff. And I washed it. <laughs> They're just sitting waiting and as they go in. And she she puts the thing in and she started pressing my hair out with a hot comb. with Not a hot comb, with a flat iron. And my hair went from like here to here. <laughs> and it, shoo, you know, we can do all kinds of stuff. The guy yeah. literally was like... I don't mean to be rude. I mean, in that, I believe in the humility. You know when someone's genuinely asked. He says, how did your hair get from here to here? It, it grows really fast. Boom. It just grow. It just grow like we we got it like that, you know? That is so, that is funny. Yeah, yeah and I, I didn't actually really realize that it could grow like from here to there. It, it's really super cool. So if you start, if you if you see it that way, it you know, oh your skin is so black, it's so beautiful, or 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 you know, my hair is unique, it can do all kinds of different things. I think that's an awesome way to reframe yeah, everything. Yeah, to, yeah, that that's so cool. Like really dishonoring the person. Honoring the um, person. Make it a, yeah, make it about the who and not the what. And then yeah. it just kind of flows. But again, everybody's uh, pet peeve is a little different, mm-hmm. you know, but I believe when you enter in with grace and humility and that love, I mean, people understand. And at the end of the day, really knowing who we are is it's what it's about. Awesome. Casey, yes. thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciated hearing all of your stories and the information that you gave is so key uh, to this time. And this is Move in Faith Counseling. And this is Casey, and she's amazing. I just love having you on today. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to so much more with hanging out with you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for okay. having me. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. I just really loved talking to Casey and hearing her stories. The takeaway for me was that there are assumptions that are made in regards to race and people of color, and there's also limits that are put on them. And Casey talks about how to transcend those limits, and boy, has she. And so I would really encourage you to take what Casey has said about approaching people in the energy of love and not making assumptions 
asking questions, and don't put any limits on yourself or others. Thank you so much for listening to Calming the Chaos, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos. If the information in today's podcast was helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. You can also go to my website at www.lokahicounseling.com for more resources for calming your mental and emotional chaos. This includes a CD I created that teaches you how to practice mindfulness in less than 10 minutes. So check it out. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.